Hey, brother. Hello, brother. Welcome to season six, episode four of the Match Wits podcast. I'm your host, Steve, along my brother, alongside my brother, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, Match Wits is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where we go toe-to-toe on any of a number of topics. Uh, it, one of the things that we always talk about here at the beginning, uh, we said it on the last episode, not in the beginning, uh, we talk a lot about movies and film. Chris knows a lot about movies and film. Uh, there will be uh, spoilers, so you know if if you're really into like anti-spoiler stuff, you know just be be, be forewarned. There are going to be spoilers. Uh, we try not to give away too much, but again, we're 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 just kind of talking from the hip as we go through this. Sure, and a bunch of these movies that we talk about are 20, 25 years old. So I believe the statute of limitations is about five years for spoilers. So deal with exactly. it. All right, so in this episode, we're going to tackle a couple of things. We always like to kick it off with uh, something from our childhood, some, some, some nostalgia, and weave it into to our topic today. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about The Floor is Lava, a game from our childhood. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, leading that into the movie Tremors with Kevin Bacon. We'll talk about Six Degrees of Seven, uh, Kevin Bacon, and we'll finish with our top Kevin Bacon movies. So again, the first and and what I don't even remember what made me think of the floor is lava, uh, but it was something as I was kind of traveling this week back to DC, it, it came up in my mind. I thought we would talk about it because it was a game that I remember playing distinctly uh, in my childhood and probably even more into my 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 early <laughs> like post adolescent preteen years than than maybe most people did. Well, sure, uh, you're you're the oldest out of our all of our cousins and brothers and sisters and stuff. So you had to play with us when we got to a certain age, and that was a game that we all could play. I remember falling through cut like those fold out card tables at at Grandpa at Grandpa <laughs> Slicks's up in Conneaut. I remember falling through because I thought I could sit on it and I couldn't. So. Exactly. Well, so there's three specific Floor is Lava game locations that I remember distinctly. And again, this goes back many of years. And and one being, you know, the house we grew up with on, on Wayne Street. Near Wayne Street. Um, and, and particularly in that living room with that yellow and green striped 70s couch um, and making our way around. I don't know that mom and dad were thrilled with us playing the Floor is Lava, but on a snow day when we're stuck inside and you know, it was something that to occupy our mind. Um, <laughs> so especially that was one of the, okay. in, Erie, in Erie, of course there's going to be snow days that they had to find something to, to keep us occupied. And I remember getting blanket, getting those old Afghans that, that, uh, Boucher made for us or made for mom or for dad and using those as bridges and folding them up and using those as, as bridges to get to the coffee table, to get from the coffee table to the, the kitchen table and things like that. So exactly. And we didn't have a very big house. And no. we, had some, we had some furniture, so it was pretty easy to get around and, uh, you never wanted to get burned. And then at some point the game would get old and then we try to push each other in. Yep. So, that was one that was again a very vivid memory. I remember uh, even even Jenner's sister playing with us uh, as well. And then when the cousins would come over, we get bigger games and things like that. But take that a step further. Get 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 um, get outside with it. And right around the corner from our house, you remember Wilson? Yeah. I think it was a middle school. I remember this game. It's a vivid memory of mine. Playing it probably lasted hours. Right. We started on a wall at this school, and the school is at the top of a hill, and like shimming across the, the the outside of the building, holding onto the window ledges, and there was probably twelve of us, and we were make trying to make our way the entire way around the school without falling and touching the ground, and that occupied us for for hours. And I said, I, but that was one of those days where, you know, we would play at that school for hours and and, and playing baseball and dodgeball yep. and kickball and everything. But for some reason, we were bored that day, or maybe we didn't have enough to play a full game of baseball, and we we're like, well, what do you want to do? And Again, I just remember vividly, like <laughs> hours into this, my fingers are starting to get all chafed up from holding onto the brick and cement of the windows. But yeah, like we're free climbing a like a rock face or something. I remember like spitting on my fingers and rubbing them together to get grip, and being too nervous to make a corner because it was like five or six feet off the ground, and then trying to make it all the way around the corner to the fire escape on on the back of, of Wilson Middle School and stuff. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it was early parkour. I mean, it was- sure. It sure, was very absolutely. simplified, but it was it was early parkour, and then and then the last piece, and and I, I hesitated to share this with the kids. Uh, we were talking because we were talking about the floor was lava at dinner the other night, <laughs> and was it when they put that new playground in at Jefferson? I don't Jefferson, know if Jefferson was a middle school, elementary school, but it was another middle. school. It was a little further away from us, but 
that was like that was in your hey- heyday because you're saying yep. you're younger, but I was a little bit older. But when we used to um, like sneak out at night, like <laughs> on you know when nobody knew we were out running the streets of Erie, we would go there and play the floor is lava at like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning as like you know fourteen year olds uh, running around. So and that and that was even to this day is one of the biggest wood uh playgrounds that i ever played on like i they took that whole thing down i remember when i drove by jefferson whatever five six seven years ago and they tore the whole thing down and put up one of those plastic monstrosities and because when we were on it like yeah it was it was chain link it was wood and then i remember the the tension bridge that you would always get your fingers stuck in it and you would get <laughs> splinters and things like that but that's Which that's what we did why they tore it down probably sure but it was it was the mid 80s man like they didn't care i'm pretty sure all the paint was lead based and you know there was asbestos all over the place but yeah. we we survived we we're fine Sort of. Well, it was all for 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 the, you know for the listeners that aren't familiar, you don't remember this place. I mean, it was all it was like the state of the art playground that was all built with pressure treated lumber. It had like a fort in it and suspension bridges, and you could and it was you know it, it, in in my mind it was massive, right? It was all mulch underneath, so mm-hmm. that was perfect for lava, and you could run around this from the swings to these and all places to crawl and and climb, and it was it was it was awesome for you a used, kid. You used to be able to get out to the retaining wall, the wall that surrounded, like, the actual mulch and gravel that surrounded <laughs> You could get to the outside, and once you got out there, I remember playing a combination, the floor is lava, tag, where you couldn't touch, so you had to get away from people, and I remember running along the retaining wall and then slipping and falling and hitting my my prepubescent groin on the, the, the <laughs> rock sticking out of the ground and like hurting myself, but still getting up and running because I didn't want to be it. So exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to be it. No. And I, and I think about that and think about, you know, how, I mean, you know, those were things that we did. And again, I feel like I, me and my friends did that a lot later just because it was something to do in the middle of the night. We, we knew we could sneak out. We didn't know really what we wanted to do. We didn't drive yet. We could, you know, we could run around the city. We ended up playing the floors lava, so, uh, which is a great segue into um, you know something I want to talk about. When we were thinking about the floors lava, and and there's something to that. Like there's a there's something in in pop culture. We were talking um, off air about. I think there's, and I never watched the show Community, where they did a whole episode of uh, the floors lava. There's something like that. That wasn't just an eerie regional thing. That no. It spans uh, it spans geographies and regions, but it also spans generations. So. Well, sure. And Community was one of my favorite shows when it was on. I loved the entire cast. Like Donald Glover was so funny as Troy, the former football star turned kind of moron who's trying to get his community college degree. But the the reason that well, the episodes that work the best on that show is when the ones that it became. Uh, campus-wide like they had a, a a paintball game that was campus-wide and they called it like a fistful of paintballs and it used all like the old clint eastwood man with no name uh stereotypes and cliches and stuff like that and it's one of the the best episodes and then in the final season they did one called the floor is lava because they knew they were they i think they had already known they were getting canceled and they knew they had a certain amount of their budget left and so it starts off on a campus-wide game of the floor is lava and you see it from an outsider's perspective when it's all of the grown adults at this community college playing the floor is lava and then it goes into one of one of the characters point of views and then you see the cgi realistic lava from their point of view and then every time someone falls in it's this big graphic they're catching on fire and they're melting (laughs) and then it flashes to the outsider's perspective and then it's just a grown adult like writhing around on the floor and acting like an idiot so i love that episode and i love that show so nice so and that and that made me think of um the movie tremors Right. Sure. So it, for those who are not familiar, this was, I think it was a 1989 movie with Kevin Bacon, Michael Gross from Family Ties. I yep. think that was the role that made him famous was uh, was Family Ties. Uh, Reba McIntyre. That was um, her first movie. Yeah, was in it. Um, but the whole premise of that movie, spoiler alert, um, there is subterranean giant prehistoric like worms that are based <laughs> off of size. They, 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 they attack based off seismic waves. So yeah. I.e. If you touch the ground, they will find you and they will eat you. Um, so watched it with the kids the other night. <laughs> Don't know that it holds up all that well. Sure. Um, but still a fun movie. Um, you know, Kevin Bacon is pretty good in it. And I know they've had, I was looking it up, I think there's been 
a bunch of uh, sequels. Seven. There's been there seven a, of them. And there was a 2018 movie with Michael Rose called, yes. I think it was just called Tremors. Right? <laughs> and uh, I just watched a trailer for it and they're like, how, how are you still alive? Was the, like the quote from the trailer to Michael Gross. He, he, was, he was just recently on the radio here in, in Philly and was talking about it, like talked about Tremors and how it, he never expected it to be this franchise and he never expected to revisit the character what, 26 years later or whatever it is. And he loves it. He goes to horror movie conventions solely on the premise of him being the guy from Tremors, not, you know, the dad from Family Ties, which is inextricably linked to our childhood, but as as the, the gun-toting weirdo from a, a, a B-movie that was released in the early 90s. I remember I, well, when we were doing research, or when I was doing research for the podcast, I read a bunch of articles about Tremors, and Kevin Bacon considers that like a low point in his career. I remember the the one article I read, he was walking off set and he dropped to his knees and started weeping and said, I can't believe I'm doing a movie with subterranean worms. He was like, this, is this what I'm going to be remembered for? And, and it's to this day, I still, I think he might be coming back for, and, and like it may be only cameo form for, I think they might be doing a TV show or one of the, they're remaking it or rebooting it or something. But he had actually talked about coming back because now in retrospect, when he looks back, he loves that movie. And those are two, his character and Fred Ward's character are two of my favorite redneck names that I've ever heard. It's Valentine McKee and Earl Bass. I'm like, oh, those are so good. And when you were talking about the cast, Steve, you forget Victor Wong. Victor Wong is Egg Shen from Little Trouble or Big Trouble in Little China, oh, which is right. top 10, top 10 guilty pleasure movies of all time. So, yep. and you talk about, and, but, He's such an endearing character that, spoiler alert, when he gets grabbed by the Graboids in his shop, like you immediately feel sympathy for him. And it and it works. And it shouldn't work about a, a stupid little town in the middle. I think they're in Texas or wherever it is. Perfection, Texas. And there's, Perfection. Only, like, there's only 14 people that live in the town, like total, like the population. Because yeah. when the one guy dies, they have to go out to the sign and change population 15 <laughs> to 14. So right. all these things that shouldn't have worked. And and it did. I don't know if it worked just because of the time frame of when we saw it. And, you know, there just wasn't the same selection of or the same amount of selection of movies that you could watch. But I loved that movie. The second one. I, I, I too, I have a soft spot, uh, soft spot for it. It was it was pre CGI. So all of the what do you call them? Graboids? Graboids. Is that their real name? That's uh, in the in the mythology. I, I think later in those sequels, they may have given it a different name, but that's what they refer to it in the first one as Graboids. So, yeah, but I, the, the funny I, story about that is too the that movie was rated R originally because of some of the violence. And then there was originally like 20 F-bombs or something like that. Like you were playing the clip of, can you fly sucker? Look at his mouth when, when you watch that part. He does not say sucker. He does not. <laughs> like, so they had to go back and they had to edit out a bunch of curse words and stuff like that to get it down to the PG-13 that I believe it got released under. Yeah, There's a bunch I, of times that it doesn't match up. Like you see Kevin Bacon say the, right. the F word and he, and it's like, it comes out sucker or something else. So. Right. Well, we're going to start introducing audio into this podcast. So I will play that clip. Hopefully it comes across and see what happens. That was the climax of the movie where, um, yeah, spoiler, uh, where, spoiler they're, alert. where they're taking out the last of, I think there was four, four of the, uh, the Graboids. Graboids. That was a, uh, uh you want to know who, there. you want to know who that was directed by? Oh, crud. I think I know. Um, I don't think so. His name is Ron Underwood, uh, Underwood, which you probably don't recognize the name, but he did City Slickers. And I know you have a huge soft spot for City Slickers and so does Dad. Because just solely just for the, the Curly Bill line when Billy Crystal walks up to Jack Palance and is like, hey, hey, Curly, did you kill anybody today? And Jack Palance just stares him right in the eye and just goes, day ain't over yet. <laughs> day ain't over yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that was a good one. Hmm. No, I had no idea. All right. So from Tremors, then we start talking about Kevin Bacon and, you know, 
Kevin Bacon's had this this movie career that's been pretty long, but one of the things that he that he's known for is the idea of this six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, and and the idea that Kevin Bacon's been in a lot of different movies, and he you know when you go back to the the Will Smith movie, the uh, Six Degrees of Separation, where everybody's connected by a number of steps, mathematical equation type of thing, uh, which was a fun game that we used to play play in college, which was again. The mold um, was pre-internet, pre, pre-internet, <laughs> pre-internet. Now you can it's like no fun, but at the time you'd be sitting around having drinks and you're trying to stump each other and see if you could make your your way around. It's a really fun game. So the idea is um, connecting an actor to Kevin Bacon and how many steps it is. And my favorite one, and and I was able to figure it out. Again, it's probably easier today. It's been Kevin Bacon's been in far more movies, but at the time back in the in the '90s, like shortly after Tremors. Um, Maybe the actually maybe it was more like ninety five, ninety seven, something like that. Um, I was able to do Bruce Lee, right? And yeah. and that one was a fun one because you get to get you know the more obscure you can get, the more fun it becomes. And for me, that was that was my favorite because you could do um, uh, and you're gonna have to help me with the names. Uh, uh, Bruce Lee to Chuck Norris in yep. wasn't Enter the Dragon, Way of the Dragon, Way of the Dragon. See, now you're going to, I'm going to get called out for not knowing it, but yeah, I think it's Enter the, no, Enter the Dragon's the one where he fights through the levels. I'm I'm pretty sure it's Way of the Dragon, right? It was the first one Bruce Lee directed. So, so Bruce Lee to Chuck Norris. So I want to connect Bruce Lee to Kevin Bacon. So you go Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, uh, Way of the Dragon. That's one. Chuck Norris, Joe Piscopo in Sidekicks. That's two. (laughs) Joe Piscopo to Michael Keaton in uh, Johnny Dangerously, one of our favorite movies from growing up. Yep. Right. Yep. Hung me on a hook once. <laughs> once. <laughs> okay, so that's Michael, three. Wait, Michael Keaton to Jack Nicholson in Batman. Okay. Um, and Jack Nicholson to Kevin Bacon in A Few Good Men. See, there's got to be that's five. You know what I mean? Like, so when we we always talk about this, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, like that's always been my calling card. Whenever I was out with people, I said, I tell them I've, I've never been stumped on six degrees of Kevin Bacon, and they're like, bull crap. I'm like, no, because the trick is, is once you've learned the big ones, there's there's a few movies that I'm sure is going to end up on your top your top six list that once you get it to that movie, it 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 branches to so many different actors. And JFK is one of those. JFK has so many people that you forget are in it, even in small bit parts like John Candy. I don't know if you remember John Candy was in JFK as one of the investigators for. Kevin Costner's, I forget what his name is, whatever the the prosecutor for the that mm-hmm. case was, but he was a he was a researcher in that. So John Candy gets you into like all those weird '80s movies, gets you to Dan Aykroyd and and all that stuff. So, but listen to the list of people that were in JFK. You have Costner, Gary Oldman, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon in JFK is how you get literally anybody from the '50s or '60s. That's how <laughs> right, you can right, exactly. because think about it. Marilyn Monroe was in I think it's Seven Year Itch or some like it hot with Jack Lemmon. So so that gets you to Marilyn Monroe and all of those stars from like the fifties and sixties that you don't, right. you don't think of in modern movies. And then you get, you know, so you get Jack Lemmon, you get Walter Matthau, Ed Asner, Vincent D'Onofrio, Brian Doyle Murray, Michael Rooker, Joe Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, John Candy, Donald Sutherland are the ones that I can just remember off the top of my head that were in that movie. So, but that's right. kind and, of, and, and it seems like Kevin Bacon's been in like, he hasn't been like the standout star and he carried an entire movie. And maybe there are some, but sure. he's in uh, a key player in ensemble movies, right? And we're going to get into the top Kevin Bacon movies, but JFK is a great one. Animal House is a good one. You know, Flatliner, like there's, there's he's Flatliner. In with so many people like, you know, he's with Kiefer Sutherland twice. He's with Donald Sutherland and JFK. So you're right. There's a lot of key. And, and to me, right, this goes back to, um, oh man, was it, uh, what was the, uh, um, uh, Jeremy uh, Piven uh, college movie. The, oh, uh, uh, PCU. PCU. <laughs> and where the guy's doing the Kane Hackman theory, right? Yep. Where you can, Michael Kane, and that's his, he's watching TV, connecting Michael Kane and Gene Hackman to all movies. It's a real thing. Michael Kane's been in a crap ton of movies, sure. and he's also in Batman. Right with so that's a key connection point. Right, he's in he's in Batman with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's connected to Kevin Bacon and Few Good Men. And, Few Good Men. 
you know, you get you get those critical moves, and you can get you can pretty much Kevin Bacon to anybody. So, well, Steve, like do you me. have any favorites? Well, no, Steve. I'm only four degrees from Kevin Bacon. I haven't done any acting work really at all. But I was in a indie horror movie probably about two or three years ago called Dark Military, and one of the guys that was in Dark Military, I, I played news cameraman one and had two whole lines. But what, the guy that played the chief of police in this movie was our Marcos Taylor. Now you might not know the name, but he was Suge Knight in straight out of Compton and was great in that movie. But so I was in a movie with R. Marcos Taylor. R. Marcos Taylor was in straight out of Compton with Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti was in Truman show with Ed Harris. And then Ed Harris was Houston was central command in Apollo 13 13. with Kevin Bacon. So (laughs) me who only has, I think two acting credits on my IMDb page is only four degrees from Kevin Bacon. So yeah, but, but there's a lot of those that you can do. Like you can get, weird connections to people like there's a movie in from like the early 80s called diner and now diner has kevin bacon in it and gets you to literally anybody that ever made a movie in the 1980s it's got gutenberg mickey rourke daniel stern tim daly ellen barkin and paul reiser like you can't pick a better 80s cast than that and that gets you to every that gets you to the police academy movies that gets you to (laughs) that gets you to the aliens franchise you know what i mean like that that gets you to all of those ones so but yeah that's always been one of those ones that anytime we're out i people are like well what's your claim to fame i've never been stumped on six degrees of kevin bacon without using the internet there's a there's a website called the oracle of bacon and it'll give you the most efficient way to to get from Kevin Bacon to whoever it is, you can actually do my connection to Kevin Bacon by, I think in three steps, but it's in movies that no one ever heard of before. So I do it with movies that people know people can recognize the actors and then do a quick one. Cause I think he was in like that. Our Marcos Taylor was in something else with like a small bit part that connects to somebody closer, but it's not movies that you would ever hear of. So I went with the big ones. So, so that sounds like a challenge. Right. Yeah. So it's a, uh, if, if anybody's listening to the podcast that has one, they think they can stump Chris on, send it to me, Steve <laughs> at matchwits. It's, uh, two T's, uh, com or DM on, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, send it to me only. I will not share it with Chris before nope. the next podcast. And I will, we'll do it on the fly on the air. The Absolutely. And, and see if we can, we can stump him. All yeah. right. A- anything else on six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Before no. we jump into our, but I, I'm definitely intrigued. I, I, I accept the challenge. I will do it. I will do it live. I will do it with no assistance whatsoever. I'll put my phone in the other room and you have my word. All right. So yeah. we'll do it. No, I might even try to come up with one. All right. Sure. Um, all right. So top Kevin Bacon movies. This would be like uh, we did last time. I, I actually have seven on my list. We talked about some of them. Um, narrowing it down is going to be tricky because again i think kevin uh bacon is on this borderline of leading man right sure he he is does he carry a movie um not quicksilver you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like, well, um, to be fair i think but, that was like his first starring role like that was like he would played a bit part in yeah. animal house which is before that and i think he was like on a television movie like one of those made tv of the week movies but footloose yeah. was 86 i think 84 85 86 and that's like his first big role and i actually kind of enjoy that movie they kind of remade it with joseph gordon levitt it was called premium rush i don't know if you ever got a chance to Mm-mm. Is it Premium Rush? Yeah, I think one of those. But he plays like a messenger, a bike messenger, and it's similar beats than that. But I always kind of had a sucker for that movie when when it came out. Oh yeah, it was in the eighties. Bike messenger that was like a thing, and Kevin Bacon was cool. I mean, he did you know he Footloose and some of these other things. So on my list, right? So this is one again. I'm going to go through my list. I can be overruled on any of these. I want your opinion on them. Um, uh, maybe before we jump in. I'll go through my honorable mentions. These are not on my list of okay. really a bullet down to seven. So Tremors, as much as I like it, as much as it is as a, a cult movie, um, it's not in my top ten list. He's done Ooh, better work than that's Tremors. Top. Steve, think about it this way. Uh, remember the girl from Tremors? The, yep. the absolutely adorable. Her name is Finn Carter. She was also in uh, How I Got Into College. Do you remember that movie with Anthony Edwards and – the reason I even bring it up because that movie, how I got it, how I got into college, was directed by Savage Steve Holland. 
which was the guy that directed Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer, like two of my all time <laughs> right. best John Cusack movies. But like between like I had such a crush on her. And then I remember seeing how I got into college later. And I was just like, how do you not have that on your list? What I'm curious to see what's on your list that Tremors didn't make yep. it over. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and he's had like. I'm trying not to go all the way back to older movies, like, you know, more recent movies, but he, he was like, I liked him in crazy, stupid love. I liked that was kind of a cute adult rom-com whatever with Steve Carell was good in it. And, um, um, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling was kind of funny in that movie. Ryan Gosling is underratedly funny. Like that him, like Channing Tatum are like two people that I wasn't expecting to like, I was just like, ugh, pretty boys, you know, lead in all these Nicholas Sparks movies and blah, blah, blah. But they are both absolutely hysterical. So you're, you're missing a key one from that, that, that early 80s. Wait, so these are oh, all sorry. my honorable mentions. Let me go through them. And, and somewhere he's like not a big part. Like I don't feel, and I have to go back and watch. It's been a couple of years since I watched X-Men First Class, but he was in that. Sure. That was he, a, was, that he was the part. main protagonist or antagonist, sorry. Yeah, I mean, he was, was Sebastian good. Shaw. Right. I mean, that was a good movie, but again, not necessarily on my my list of the top six. Um, the Woodsman, and I, I want to say I saw that a long time ago. I want to say it was kind of creepy. Wasn't that about like a, I don't know. a child molester? But he was lead in that, I think. It, the um, Woodsman? But, it doesn't even ring a bell to me. Yeah. That one... Mystic River, right? The, yeah. Was the Mystic, River. Mystic River is another one of those ones that, like, yeah, it's a great movie, but you don't ever want to watch it again. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, one, of, it, one of Clint's better, better directed movies. Like, Clint's has, Clint Eastwood has a very storied career, both as an actor as a director, and he's got some really strong directing ones. And Mystic River, I think, was nominated for, like, four or five Academy Awards that year, but it is just so morose and bleak that the rewatchability of it, it just plummets. So, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was good. It won its awards and people kind of forget about it. You forget yeah. that it was like, Oh, who was in it and who directed it. Um, and then hollow man, hollow man. I have such right. a soft spot for that movie. And then I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. And again, I was like, yeah, it's good, but is it, is it, is it top six material? So no, no, no those were the, those were the kind of my honorable mentions. There's a ton more. He's been in like 92 movies. Right. But well, I was trying I, to make it like, if he was a bit part versus. I have one that you may have forgotten that I know that I have on. Remember we talked about those VHS tapes that we taped off of HBO when we were kids for like during the trial. It's a movie called whitewater summer. Do you remember that with Sean, no. Sean Austin is like, it's right after Goonies. So he's starting to get a little bit more acting work where he plays like a really shy teenager and they send him on like a whitewater rafting expedition with like four other kids to bring him out of his shell. And Kevin Bacon plays the jerk, the, the, the jerk uh, rafting instructor that has to like kind of help these boys become the men that they are. And they leave Sean Austin's character can't make this jump over this little this little opening in the rock face of where they're climbing to and he leaves them hang he leaves sean austin's character just hanging there on the side of this mountain it was like all right you're gonna have to figure it out <laughs> and but i remember that movie we had it on tape so i watched it so many times that he was great as the jerk instructor and it's sean austin in one of his younger roles so that's an honorable mention the, the river wild was no. that it no the river wild's a different one that's about like people that get caught up on a rafting trip. No, it's called Whitewater Summer. It's like 1987, 88, maybe. You'll, you can find it. It's good. I mean, Whitewater uh, Summer. Yeah. You played Vic. All right. Vic. Uh, there was, there was a couple others that I left off. Um, you know, again, they're, they're good movies. Like I remember watching them at the time. She's having a baby. She's having a baby. Sure. That was a complete late eighties rom-com movie that he got into that one. Um, there was one other one that was like that. He he said, she said. Mm-hmm. That was another one very similar. That was in his, like, when he was doing Flatliners and Tremors. That was, like, when he was starting to get. Um, I got a soft off. spot for Flatliners, the original. I didn't see the remake when they did it, but yeah. Flatliners, did that was, it was a Kiefer Sutherland, Billy Baldwin, uh, Julia Roberts, and Kevin Bacon about cheating death and like it was one of those ones when they when you first see it you're like oh this is gonna be like an mtv flash cut very flashy type movie and you watch it and it deals with some dark stuff man it deals with some you know kevin bacon's i think he knocked a kid out of a tree or something like that when he was a kid so yeah well, so yeah and that one's in my that's in my top 10 list oliver platt was in that too that was i think when oliver platt started to get 
Oh, and Flatliners? Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. He that was kind sense. of the, you know, kind of played a nerdy, smart kid. If Di- I directed by Joel Schumacher. Oh, good old yep. good old nipples on the bat suit, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> nipples <laughs> on the bat suit. It's the George Clooney one, man. It's when he ran that franchise into the ground where it stopped being the, the gothic architecture of Tim Burton's and everything became bright and shiny and neon. And he put George Clooney in a bat suit that had nipples on it. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's pretty right. much killed that franchise. So, and, and I don't know if I'm in the minority because I like the Tim Burton ones because it was like, it was finally Batman that wasn't, um, uh, Burt Ward and Adam West. Yeah. They got away from the camp. Like that's not the, the, between what I read when I was a kid and then what Patrick, our cousin Patrick, introduced me to as I got older, like the the Frank Miller, Dark Knight Rises or Returns and all of those older Batman comics, then by the time I was really infatuated with Batman, the 60s series with Burt Ward and, and uh, what is the other guy? Who actually, Adam West. Adam West. When that, when that came around and I was watching it, I was I couldn't get through the, the camp. You know what I mean? Like right. well, I, As I got George older. Meredith as the Penguin in the original one? Yeah, and Cesar Romero, who refused <laughs> to shave his mustache when he put his ma- makeup on so you can just see white makeup caked on his giant mustache. It's just, it's kind of ridiculous. But, like, right. yeah, no, I agree. Those, those early Burton ones were fantastic, and I would still put them as top three. Like at least the first one as they had the they had the darkness they captured the darkness mm-hmm. of that that character that story and I, I just remember it being good and it seems like people went back and like oh Michael Keaton and Kim Basinger and you know, all that but I thought well, I thought they were good I thought there was certainly not Val Kilmer and certainly not George Clooney George Clooney it, well it also shows that when people get up in arms about casting like like oh my God Michael Keaton Mr Mom's going to be Batman like. You don't know what you're talking about. Michael Keaton's probably one of the the best, if not the best, Batman that we've gotten so far. And it was the same way the internet reacted when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker. Really? Internet? Do you want to go back and have a, a mulligan on that one? It was probably the best <laughs> the best villain in movie history. And you guys were like, Bah, broke back Absolutely. Mountain. He was uh, it, amazing. Right. Yeah. His, his Joker was so much better than anything else we'd seen. It was amazing. Well, see, this is where I'll nerd out a little bit on you, Steve. So in the movie The Dark Knight, every time the Joker is entering a, entering a scene in a scene or somewhere to be found in the scene, they, they, he has this thing called the Shepherd's Tone. And the Shepherd's Tone is one of these, you're a music guy, so you probably have heard of it before, but it's that the idea of three over overarching i think it's tones where it sounds like it's getting louder every time because by the time the one tone ends the lower one starting so it sounds like it's constantly getting louder and louder but it's not actually changing pitch whatsoever it's the best way i can describe it when you hear the the motorcycle the bat the bat motorcycle that ejects from the tumbler in the movie where it sounds like he's constantly accelerating that's the shepherd's tone it's not getting any louder it's not speeding up but your your ears play a trick on your brain and the same way the the hans zimmer created this the soundtrack for every time heath ledger as the joker shows up it's this slow build but it's not actually building, which plays with the psychology of it. So, yeah, it's one. And, and, it, and it uses that droning mm-hmm. effect, like that, to build tension and yep. build. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. The it's, way they it's use what sound he used. It's what he used in Dunkirk. I don't know if you've seen Dunkirk yet, but oh, yeah, yeah. that first hour, nothing happens at all. Like it's it's you know the the propaganda coming down from the planes and them walking through the streets, but that that shepherd's tones playing in the background, which subconsciously makes you tense. Like you literally feel your hands and 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 that uses it for the entire first hour of the movie before the actual war, like the war scenes break out, but. It's so masterfully done. I mean, obviously, it's Christopher Nolan, who's who's a genius. But the use of that, once you identify it and once you see it or hear it and identify it for the first time, you won't be able to hear it or right. ignore it again. So, Is, is Nolan still your favorite director? Mm, I don't. I know he was for a long time. Yeah, I can't. I don't put... Like it, it's the problem we ran into the first the first episode. I can't do top five lists. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like I can do. I have certain directors that I really like in their drama. I have certain directors that I really like their visual style. But to say Christopher Nolan is my favorite still, eh? 
it's tough. That's like, right. I, I still have a soft spot for Tarantino. I'm still a Spielberg junkie. I'm, you know what I mean? Like it's right. not, I watch too much to boil it down to <laughs> five or six right. people. So right up. I have one more. I just, and it just wasn't even on my list, but I saw it when I was scrolling through IMDb and this is, I just remember this from college. I don't even know that I've seen the whole movie the whole way through, but the, like the, I, sometimes like when I hear a movie's pitch or, you know, synopsis, sure. I think of what the pitch meeting must've been like <laughs> in Hollywood, which was, it was pirates, right? With pirates with a Y. Okay. Kevin Bacon and Kira Cedric, who's his wife, right? Um, and I think the idea, the premise is every time they have sex, a fire starts. <laughs> so I was like, the, no, like, can't, can't the say that I saw that one. The, uh, but it's it's pirates with a Y. It's yeah, pirate. like pyro. Anyways, yeah, I got it. I, yeah, the, it. I like puns, and it, it, so I was like, oh, I get I get the premise. This movie is pretty funny. All right, so let's go into the actual. Let me list. do. Let me do one more honorable mention. That's probably not going to be on your list, but if it is, you can just stop me. Did you ever see a movie called Super? It no. came it came about about seven seven or eight years ago. Written and directed by James Gunn, who you know claimed to fame was the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and stuff like that. But it's so it's Rain Wilson, Ellen Page. Rain Wilson is Dwight from the American Office, yep. but he yep. plays he plays a guy that. I don't remember if he gets hit in the head or something, but he believes he's a superhero, but he doesn't have any superpowers. And his like super weapon is just this big wrench that he carries around with him. <laughs> but like he, Steve, like I said, it's one of those movies that I don't want to give you any more information. Like if you know who James Gunn is, did you ever watch, there was a movie with uh, Nathan Fillion called Slither. It was like Nathan Fillion, uh, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Rooker about an alien inv invasion in like a small town. It, I don't know if you probably haven't seen it, but it was during this. He was just trying to make the movies that he wanted to make before he started with Guardians and became like a, a you know a household mm -hmm. name and stuff. He was making right. these, these super eccentric, super funny, but super dark comedies. And between Super and and Slither, I, I fell in love. James Gunn comes from trauma, like the Toxic Avenger, the Lloyd Kaufman school. Like yeah, he yeah. he grew up like that's who gave him his start. He directed, I forget. I forget what the movie he directed for Troma was, but then he and oh, it was Tromeo and Juliet. It was, it was a bad, <laughs> it was a bad takeoff of that. But then James Gunn started making a little bit more, and he made what it, the, the Super in 2010. If you haven't seen it, or if you have never heard about it, don't do any research. Don't watch the trailer. Just go in and watch it. But right. Kevin Bacon plays a character named Jacques, and Jacques like the, of course, the kind of hoity-toity. French jerk of the movie, but it, it, the only reason I bring it up, one, the movie's hysterical, but the, that character that Kevin Bacon ends up playing called Jacques was supposed to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, he had signed, <laughs> he had inked the deal to come in and play this, you know, kind of arrogant Frenchman, which obviously isn't that hard for Jean-Claude to do, but, like, two weeks before they went to shoot, uh, he disappeared. Like James Gunn couldn't get him on the phone. He was like, dude, I can't go into production on this movie, not knowing if my villain's not going to be in it. So he ended up firing and gave the role to Kevin Bacon and Kevin Bacon's great in it, but I can't help but to think how good it would be without or with Jean-Claude in it. But, right. but go back and watch that. Watch All it's right. that super. And then if you like that movie, watch Slither. Slither. Yeah. yeah. They're both good. Okay. All right. So all if we go into my, if we go into my list, now, I'm going to have to pull this one back because, again, I have seven on my list. I guess this has to be an uh, – it's tricky. So I'm just going to say it. So Animal House, you know, Chip Diller like, was like kind of his first Hollywood movie. Sure. That was his first Hollywood movie. That's yeah. the first – I think it's his first credit listed on IMDb, which obviously IMDb is not 100% accurate, but it's pretty good. Yeah. So I, I have that there. Again, Thank you, sir. ensemble cast, but an awesome movie like um, – I don't know. The, the, if, 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 the, the stories that come out of them making that is one of my favorites. I, there's a doc, I, I'm a huge behind the scenes guy. Like if there's ever a documentary about the making of a movie, there's one called uh, Hearts of Darkness about uh, the making of Apocalypse Now. Which, if you don't know the history of that movie, you need to you need to watch that. Like they basically all went crazy in the middle of nowhere. Like Lawrence Fishburne was like 14 at the time and told everybody he was 17 in order to get this get this role, but he was really only 14. And they took like they shot that in somewhere in Southeast Asia, like when there was a coup going on and there was bombings and things like that. Like it's yeah, just yeah. the madness behind that. But the the making of of some of these other ones are. Are solid. Sorry. 
No, no, I, the behind the scenes stuff is awesome. You know, I, when I was in college, it was uh, Apocalypse Now was a big, that was one of my, I had a film class and we did that, but then we also had to read uh, Heart of Darkness, which was, the, I think it was the James Joyce book that it was based on, right? It follows the arc, but they just move it from being in the Amazon to Southeast Asia, yep. to Vietnam. Well, and then um, the, the in Apocalypse Now, like the whole one of the reasons it worked is because Marlon Brando was hidden the entire time. But do you know why Marlon Brando was hidden the entire time? Because he showed up like a hundred and fifty pounds overweight and couldn't move around. So uh, Francis Ford Coppola was like, "How the hell am I going to shoot this fat monster when he's supposed to be intimidating?" So that's why that one the 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 big speech of the horrors of war is just that single solitary strip of light across his eyes because they had to have cue cards because at that point in time Brando refused to learn lines before he got on set and he right. showed up like completely out of shape and so that was that was his workaround and it it works it wouldn't have worked if you could see him you know what i mean like it's right. supposed to be just focusing on him giving the speech that I have a really, I have a very, very sour opinion on Marlon Brando. Like, I think he's a great actor, but some of the stories that you hear, like, look at the behind the scenes footage of The Godfather with you have James Duvall. James Duvall, one of the greatest actors of all time in Hollywood, has cue cards around his neck because Marlon Brando refused to learn lines. Like, <laughs> screw off, Marlon Brando. Like, you're not that good. Like, you're right, good, yeah. but not you went off the rails. Big time. Yeah, it went off the rails. But there's. So, uh, I'm sorry, okay. just to go on a tangent, there's another documentary called Lost Souls, which was the making of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Watch that if you want to have a sour opinion of Marlon Brando. So that's it. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to put I'm going to put Animal House as like six point five. Sure. Right. Because, again, great movie. Kevin Bacon's good in it. Um, but I think there's other movies in here that are, I, I don't know, bigger movies, whatever. So. Uh, and again, I can be persuaded. Next one, A Few Good Men. We sure. talked about this already. Um, that was, uh, was that Aaron Sorkin? Was Aaron, based on his, his play. Aaron um, Sorkin's first screenplay he ever wrote that was, was Few Good Men. It, it actually, I believe he wrote the script first, and then they said it would actually make a really compelling play. And so he wrote the play, and then the play started getting a bunch of adulation and recognition and I, I think tom cruise went to go see it and kevin pollack went to go see it and all these people went to go see it and they're like wow this will actually make a really good movie and so i think rob reiner bought the rights to it and rob reiner's just a, i might not necessarily necessarily agree with his personal politics but he's there, there's no argument with the man is as a director with misery and princess bride and stand by me and spinal tap like those are four flawless movies that you can't I can't pick holes in and to have him behind the helm of a few good men and having that cast with Tom Cruise and, and Jack and Demi Moore and Kiefer Sutherland and Kevin Pollack. And yeah, yeah. 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 But that's another one to use for six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Cause that gets you to Tom Cruise and gets you to all those. Right. It's, a, it's a critical one. And, and, and again, Sorkin wrote it. It was his, I think it was his first play and it was based on, I guess his whole family is our lawyers, except him and his mom. <laughs> and his sister was uh, a Naval lawyer and it was based on kind of a true story of what happened at Gitmo. Yeah. Um, she oh. was telling him this story and he was like, that would make a great, so he kind of crafted that into his first, um, into his first play, and, and again, I think the the story goes is uh, somebody who knew Tom Cruise, whether it was um, his wife or whatever, and, and um, uh, Nicole Kidman or somebody saw it and said this would be this would be great for you, and yeah. then th they made a movie out of it. So uh, definitely on the list, he was he was good in that one. Um, and Rob Reiner, we... Rob Reiner says that's one of the few times when he's been on set that an actor got a standing ovation when he was done for. Jack Nicholson doing the Colonel Jessup speech about, you know, this wall or this world is surrounded by walls and those walls need to be guarded by men with guns. And that speech, I re they, they talk about at the end after it was over and he yells cut, the entire room stood up and applauded. I was like, <laughs> just thinking about that, like Jack's, yeah. Jack's had some missteps as he's gotten older and things like that. But that that speech and him just yelling at, at Tom Cruise and berating him was was yeah. flawless. So, yeah. Um. So next one, we talked about this one a little bit already with JFK. Yeah. Um, he played with Willie O'Keefe um, yeah. and JFK. Great, you know, great movie. I remember seeing that in the theater back in Erie. And it was like the first time I realized how uncomfortable theater chairs were in those old theaters because that movie's like three and a half. Three and a half. Long. And, and it was at the Mill Creek Mall. And yeah. I remember sitting in, I think Tim Hodes and I went and saw it. And I just remember sitting there. It was good. But I remember standing up in the aisles at one point because 
It was yeah. so uncomfortable. He had to, to stretch. Say. But that's yeah, that's but... all Oliver Stone. He can he makes compelling movies. They're just not always factually accurate. <laughs> that's the problem that I had with JFK. Like, yeah, I saw that movie before I ever did any of the research into the actual assassination mm-hmm. of John F. Kennedy, but yeah, it's Oliver Stone taking some facts and, and comporting them to, to serve his own agenda. He has a he has a series called The Untold History of the United States on Netflix, and it's great. And some of the stuff, I would say probably 80 to 85 percent of the stuff is factually accurate. He takes some liberties with some of the statistics because he's Oliver Stone. Like, that's what he does. It's it's the idea. It's the same concept that he uses for any given Sunday. Like, probably 80% of the stories or whatever he shows in football probably really took place in the NFL. But the guy's eye falling out in a perfect, like, uh, come on, Oliver. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's not the way things work. Right, right. So, but, yeah. yeah, but yeah once, you, once you realize that it's, it's good score, it's storytelling, it's compelling, and it starts to blur the line between fact, fact and fiction. Sure. And, that, and, and it that, kind of plays off of the thing where that whole assassination had a resurgence right? sure. back in the, when did that come out? The 90s? Yeah, like 80s, 91. Late 90. 80s, early 90s. JFK, I think um, it was like 91, 92. But like we were talking about, like, look at that cast, man. Like John Candy, like there, I was reading during doing research, I was reading about John Candy talking about his role. And he, he was so nervous through that whole thing that people weren't going to take him seriously because he's surrounded by these legendary actors and he's, you know, more known for his comedies that I don't know if you remember exactly in the, in the movie itself, he's sweaty as hell through the whole thing. And that's really him sweating. Cause he was that nervous. Like they were shooting in Louisiana. So it was hot to begin with. He was <laughs> wildly overweight at that point in time. And he was friends. So like, if you watch it, like they tried to cake makeup on it to get, the shine of him off and it didn't work. It was just running off onto his, onto his, his wardrobe and stuff. So that was just, that's his character is he's a sweaty mess. So yeah, sweaty mess. Yeah. yeah. But all right. So next one, you know, put footloose footloose has got to be on the list. Cause I think it kind of put him on the map. It was <sighs> certainly as a kid growing up, it was a fun movie, right? It was, it was teenage angst meets, you know, conservative, whatever, you know, kid moves from the city out to the country and, you know, they don't, they don't understand how to have fun. It's super strict. John Lithgow is John the Lithgow. bearing minister. So there's, there's a, there's a fun, like when you're a teenager, you want to rebel against everything. So there was a fun thing to it. I you know my first instinct in rebellion was not to necessarily go dancing, go dancing, you know, but, you know. but I mean, I guess the, yeah, dancing's the backdrop for it. And it was at a time where, you know, I think if you looked at the what what that did, and there was a bunch of dancing movies and all that that came out, and you had you know fame on TV and all these other things. So I think it was all in that same couple of year period. Breaking two electric thing. boogaloo. I would see. Yeah. That's my thing. I, I I can't stand Footloose. I, I I don't I don't like it. I've never really liked it. The only thing that I wrote down next to Footloose was: Did you know that his dance double from Footloose, Kevin Bacon's dance double, married Jennifer Beals? Dance double from Flashdance. <laughs> like that's what, just the most random thing I read that coming across. I was like, wait a second. And I actually looked it up. And if you, you can actually track it down that the guy that did the dance moves that Kevin Bacon couldn't do in Footloose ended up marrying Jennifer Beale's dance double from Flashdance. Who did? Who did? I think seventy or seventy-five percent of the rain dance, the the legendary rain dance from, from yeah, yeah. Flashdance. Right. I love that. That's the only thing I have written down next to Footloose. It says Footloose yeah, 1984. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if I go back and like you watch it. Sometimes you cringe, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole where they're where they're where they're playing chicken with the with the the, the front end loaders and yeah. shoelace gets caught. And yeah. all that. But anyways, a little bit know, of fun, manufactured fun movie, drama. Fun movie, you know. I don't know that I watch that today. I watch JFK. I watch A Few Good Men. I watch Animal House, but I don't know that I watch Footloose. But still, still a good movie. Put them on the map, and it was again important part of you know growing up in the eighties. Yeah, and who would have thought then there that would have been like a into Broadway Buckethead. Broadway musical? Like they actually, it's still around. Like they just did what a remake of Footloose, what two three years ago? I didn't watch it obviously because I didn't like the original, but I think it's on Broadway or off Broadway yeah. now too. It's jeez. And these remakes of '80s movies, a makes me feel old, and I can't like I couldn't watch the Red Dawn remake. I couldn't like any of these. Like they were good for what they were, but don't let me. I don't need to. They, I don't need to bring movies back that are less than thirty years old. Well, yeah, and the the reason that to use your example, Red Dawn works is because we're in the middle of the Cold War. Like in the middle of the '80s, like that was a terrifying real thing that I remember doing. 
the the missile the missile arms and going under your desk like that's really going to cover yeah like that's yeah. going to matter when a nuclear warhead's coming down on a country yeah I'm going to get under this plywood desk that's really going to help that's going to slow down the nuclear radiation but but that's you're right Steve to 100% the the reason that Red Dawn worked it was in the middle of that their their cast was amazing and then the the modern one missed it 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 had a lot of production problems and it was i think it originally was supposed to be the bad guys were supposed to be china and then china was like well, we're not going to release it in our country if you guys put us as the bad guys which is you know a six billion person market so they had to change <laughs> it to right. some innocuous middle east country so it missed the it missed the heart of the original and it didn't right, have yeah. patrick swayze so meh. yeah well it didn't have i mean the cast of the original one was Pretty pretty rad. When you have Patrick Swayze and uh, C. Thomas Howell and uh, Tom Cruise, Jennifer Grey, Tom, Cr- Tom Cruise, is, Lane. Tom Cruise is not in Red Dawn. Was he not? No. What am I thinking of? Uh, uh, C. Thomas Howell, Charlie Sheen. Oh, Charlie Sheen. I'm thinking. Sorry, Je- I'm thinking of Charlie Sheen. Jennifer Grey. Jennifer Grey. De- was it Matt Dillon? No, that's Outsiders. Now I'm getting Outsiders. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Now, like, Diane Lane. Diane Lane. All right, we'll we'll go back to 80s movies another time. Yeah. Um, But staying on that uh, trend, next one on my list is Flatliners. I love Flatliners. Sure. And, again, that was – it's funny. When you look at these movies and you look at what was happening in Hollywood at the time, you had the JFK resurgence. You had the dance kind of thing with a bunch of movies. And then Flatliners was part of this arc of Hollywood movies like Jacob's Ladder and some of the others that dealt with the – Life after death thing. Yep. Oh, and, spoiler uh, alert for Jacob's Ladder, dude! You're always yelling at me about spoilers, and you just basically spoiled that movie. Oh, completely. <laughs> spoiler alert in Jacob's Oops. in Jacob's Ladder, Tim Robbins is dead or dying uh, throughout the whole. Uh, yeah. So again, you, but you put that one in there, Flatliners. Again, great cast, right? And that was almost the. Um, um, I saw a quote somewhere that was. Uh, Kiefer Southern referred to it as the Breakfast Club is dead, <laughs> or. Um, Crap! What was the other one? He had two. He had two funny, two funny takes on it. But one was the Breakfast Club is dead. Um, so I, I thought that was a good movie, and that was you know it, it dealt with some of the. It started. It was dark, and it dealt with a lot of you know issues about life and death and everything. Sure. So I thought that was good. Um, anything on that one? I'm going to move on to my next. No, nope. not really. I could go so, off a tangent about Joel Schumacher, but I'll, I'll reserve that for a later episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Diner. Yep. So Diner, uh, I remember watching that. And again, it was Diner was one of the early movies, right? That was more like, I remember watching it later. Right? Sure. Because it, it took place in the, I think it took place in the 50s. Yeah. But um, the cast that we mentioned, like Paul Reiser, Daniel Stern, Gutenberg, Mickey Rourke, um, and, and Kevin Bacon, uh, and it, great. And it was kind of that one of those, you know, they were early 20s kind of figuring everything out yeah. type, of, type of movies. and. And I remember watching it after I knew, had seen Police Academy. So I knew who <laughs> Gutenberg was. I see him in this more serious role. Yeah. Paul Reiser, I knew who he was, but he, I remember him from more comedic roles. And you go back and look, and like that, these guys were these guys were good. They were really good. Uh, well, it helps that Barry Levinson is the guy that directed Diner, and he's the same guy that directed Sleepers and Rain Man and. Good Morning Vietnam, Toys, the, the Natural, which is you know one of our all time. Yeah, yeah. sports movie guilty pleasures so you you get a director that understands how to do drama with humor in it so it helps that you have a phenomenal cast a really good script i don't remember who wrote the script but i think it's somebody like i, think, I thought it was levinson wrote it was I it think I was, he could um and that was his first movie what barry levinson's yeah oh that was his that. first all right, so we're going to get into fun fact territory. He <laughs> wrote it. So hold on, we got to find it. What, what, what am I looking for? I'm looking it makes for compelling radio when you're talking right. about. Hold on, I need to do research. Well, no, I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be misquoted. It was 1982 is when it came out, yep. right? So I would have been like 10. So mm-hmm. I watched it like probably 10 years after the fact. Sure. Um, I don't think I watched it until college because I wanted I wanted to use it for Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, and I don't like using movies that I hadn't seen. So I remember mm-hmm. watching Diner when I was in college. Yeah. So Barry Levinson wrote it and directed it, yep. and he wrote it. He was previously a screenwriter working with Mel Brooks <clears> on <throat> High Anxiety and maybe Silent Movie. Oof! So, so we might have to do an we might have to do an entire episode on Mel Brooks. Oh, we will for sure. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so, anyways, and that ties back. I mean, Mel, we've talked about this before. Mel Brooks is a pretty 
pivotal uh, and and something our dad instilled in us in terms of in terms of movies and co- comedy and stuff. So massively, anyways, massively influ- influential on everything that I've done or liked or seen since. Exactly. Mel Brooks, yeah. So Levinson's first movie, right? He's gone on to do much other things, but um, you know, it, it was one of those. It was first directorial. Um, David. At it. I, yeah. He's from Baltimore. He flew everybody into Baltimore. They kind of got the bond and go out. And these were all young actors at the time. They got the kind of bond. So we got reading through some of the, the background on this is a lot of the stuff in the diner itself, they filmed towards the end. And a lot of it was improv. Oh, sure. And Kevin Bacon was not good at improv. <laughs> so if you look at his character, he was very like, he didn't say a lot, but he was did a lot of like, head nods and, yeah. and like he, which kind of helped his character be kind of on the outside. Sure. And then someone like everybody said that his riser was just so quick and, and easy to improvise. Cause he's always you know, his, his background in improv that was helped help carry some of those parts. So sure. again, good yeah. movie. That movie I think certainly still holds up, even though it that kind of takes place in the fifties, but it was released in the, in the early eighties. Yeah. I put uh, that and, and in like great, this, great cast. the same lump as like the, the big itch or the, the big chill as those kind of movies that you watch and it it holds such a perfect time capsule of what that time frame was. You know what I mean? Like the big chill is all about friends coming back and, and they're dealing with a death and in their group of friends and stuff like that. But it's such, it's such a time capsule of like the late eighties, mid to late eighties. And I still can't hear, you can't always get what, what you want by the Rolling Stones without thinking of that movie. So, right. But I put diner in the same category. Yep. And then when you get, so my last one on my list here, I think you know what it is. It's Apollo 13. Yeah. I think that was just a phenomenal movie. It captured, you know, it was one of those, you know, it, true story, but the way they did it and the way they captured all that and the way that the kind of the actors worked together. And, yeah. You know, for me, I just thought that was a phenomenal, phenomenal movie with a great cast. I thought Kevin Bacon was, it was really good. In that. It was great. And the, the nice thing that Ron Howard's one of those directors that really likes to enthrall or instill as much actual physical history and accurate and accurate history into his movies that all of the remaining or the surviving members of the actual Apollo 13, he sent all the actors to go and like sit with them and talk to them to get their mannerisms and, and, and their, the way they talk and their cadence and things like that. And they said at the premiere, the ones that were there were in tears about how well that they were able to accurately portray what it actually was like to go through all that. And yeah, I mean, it's 25 years old at this point in time and still holds up. And I believe Ron Howard says it's his favorite movie of his career that he ever, uh, that he ever did. So. Right. Yeah. And some of the people that, uh, again, reading, reading some, doing some of the research on it, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the NASA people that were involved with Apollo 13, they saw the movie and they thought they were using like footage. Uh, that yeah. No one unseen had ever seen footage. Yeah. I read that too, <laughs> that they thought it was like, wait, we didn't have that camera at that, that point in time to take that angle. And it was just like, that's how well done it was that you can confuse the people that made their living and their livelihoods working on this, that you trick them, which shows the, um, the attention, the detail that he has. Damn. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, so our list finishes up at with six and a half, I'm going to leave Animal House in there because Animal House is an awesome movie. So we go Animal House, Few Good Men, JFK, Footloose, Flatliners, Diner, and Apollo 13. And honestly, after reading it, it feels like Footloose is the one that doesn't fit. Yeah, but right. Like it's just it, to, in the context of all of those like legendary movies like that yeah. that hold up in the pantheon and the, the passage of time, and you put Footloose on there. Yeah, it's, it's not my it, list. <laughs> well, and you and look at the I mean, look at the directors on these, right? So sure. you've got. Um, Ron Howard, you've got Barry Levinson, you've got Rob, Robert Stone, Rob Reiner, okay. Rob Reiner, like, did a few good men. Yeah, like that's. Yeah, but like even when you talk about Diner versus Barry Levinson, like I would actually put Sleepers above Diner just because of, I think it's a it's a better crafted movie and it it, mm-hmm. it links you to just as many people to play the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like Sleepers is the one about the abuse at the Catholic school with. It's uh, 96. It was De Niro, Brad Pitt, Jason Patrick, Billy Crudup, Ron, uh, Ron Ellard, Mini Driver, and Dustin Hoffman. Like that, that, that's, a, it's another one of those ones that I'll never watch it again because I don't really want to rewatch a movie about 
church cover-ups about pedophilia. Like it's not, <laughs> right. it's like Spotlight. Right. Like yeah. Spotlight's a great yeah. movie that I'll never ever watch again. But I would put Sleepers above Diner on on the Kevin Bacon list. But this isn't my list because if it was my list, I would have the original Friday the Thirteenth on there. You forget that Kevin Bacon was oh, one of the right. first people to get killed yeah. in that and yeah, doing right. doing that research into the the making of Friday the Thirteenth is is so fun to read because I don't know if you ever heard any the, Tom that was one of Tom Savini's like big projects after Night of the Living Dead like after he started getting a little bit more notoriety and stuff mm-hmm. they and especially in my area because it's it's the actual the camp that they shot it at is north. It's like up near New York city and stuff like that. But that's, they take like monthly trips to go up there and you can actually still stay at camp crystal Lake. It was called camp. No B Bosco, I think is what it's called. But Tom Savini and all the cast and crew just stayed at the camp. Like they lived in the actual campsite. So like they would, they would shoot all day and shoot all night. And then it would just go and get hammered afterwards, wake up and do it all over again. So the scene in the movie where Kevin spoiler alert for a 40 year old movie, Kevin Bacon gets impaled with a, with a, uh, an arrow gets shoved through his neck. So they only had one chance to do it because they had this big body prosthetic and it was getting pushed through this fake neck. And the tube that was supposed to push the blood out broke so Tom Zavini off camera jumped underneath the bed and grabbed the tube and blew through it. So instead of it slowly oozing out, it like spurts out. But if you remember, like I can remember that actual moment going, oh, my God, that's gross. But it, the only reason it happened that way is because they only had one shot to get it right. They couldn't afford to build another fake body and right. do all this. And the story of Tom Savini just jumping underneath the bed and grabbing because it was like, you know, it's corn syrup and, and food coloring and stuff like that. So it doesn't taste bad, but it's him blowing blood through this this tube to kill Kevin Bacon. Another, another stupid piece of trivia from the original, the, the guy that plays Bill, the, one of the other, one of the other counselors at Camp Crystal Lake is mm-hmm. Bing Crosby's son. <laughs> like His name's Harry Crosby and he played Bill and he only did a couple movies and the original Friday the 13th was one of them. And that's one of them. And that's there one of them. Go. So that's where you get on my, on my list. So Cool. Well, this has been awesome um, and great way to finish with a uh, Kevin Bacon death scene from Friday the 13th. Um, so with that, you can follow us on, uh, that'll put a bow on this one. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at MatchWits, uh, W-I-T-T-S, because uh, Wit is our last name. And you can also go to MatchWits.com. Uh, Chris, if you have any show notes, send them over. Um, sure. We can post them out there and we put it on Twitter and we put it on, on the website. And then until next time, uh, we'll talk to you all later. Peace. Later. She watched Channel Zero. She watched, 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 she watched.